Dear Lord, we do come to bless you and to praise you. And we thank you for all the benefits you have given to us. Multitudinous they are, innumerable, more than the sands of the sea. And so, dear Father, we pray that today we will be overwhelmed again by your graciousness and your love, your patience, your forgiveness, your grace. Bless the reflections as they sing in every part of this service. They bring honor to your name and may it lift our hearts and our spirits that we might truly mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. For this is our prayer in the blessed and holy name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And everyone be seated, please. You know, it's not morbid to ask someone who is beginning a journey if they know where they're going. I went out early yesterday morning to catch an airplane to go to Chicago to speak to an international dental convention at noon and flew back late yesterday afternoon. I knew where I was going and I'd made reservations and plans and, and I got there and I got back. If I'd walked into the airport and someone had walked up to me and said, uh, Buckner, where are you going? And I'd have said, I don't know. Well, have you made plans? No, I just feel like I ought to go somewhere. And uh, have you made any reservations? No, I, I haven't made any reservations. Well, you would have thought Buckner has stripped his mental gears. He's, he's, he's just lost it. Baptist had finally gotten to him. And he's coming apart. Uh, he doesn't know where he's going. He's made no plans. He's made no reservations. You'd say, well, he's just, he's foolish. He needs some help. He needs some guidance. Every one of us in this room is on a journey. Is it foolish to ask you whether or not you've made plans? Have you made reservations? Do you know your destination? Many years ago in the early American days when they were moving out westward in the west part of Kansas, there was a sign that said, choose your rut well. You're going to be in it for the next 2,000 miles. <laughs> well, this morning I want to say to myself and to you, choose your, not your rut, but choose your root R-O-U-T-E, well, for you're going to be in it for the next trillions of millenniums, forever and ever and ever. David, in that magnificent 23rd Psalm, my favorite and the favorite of many of you, knew very well whom he had chosen to be his guide. And he begins the 23rd Psalm with the Lord. If you don't put him at the top of your list, life will literally become, as Shakespeare said, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. We'll go round in circles. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my travel agent. The Lord is. 
Everyone has a shepherd. Everyone has someone or something to which they turn for guidance and for direction. David decided to choose the Lord. And so have many of us in this room. And I pray that all of us in this room will have done so. And if any are here who have come here without having made that kind of plan and preparation for the journey of life, that before this service is over, you will do so. And you'll call upon the name of the Lord. You'll call upon him, the eternal travel agent. He'll make reservations for you in the celestial palaces of God, and he'll plan your trip for you, and he'll be with you all along the journey. He'll accompany you on the trip. He will guide us, and he will guide us and lead us personally. The Lord is my shepherd. In the Holy Land, the shepherd leads his sheep. In all the other countries of the world, shepherds drive their sheep before them. The Holy Land shepherd is the only shepherd that leads his sheep. He never will ask his sheep to go anywhere that he's not already been. You see, he's preparing the way. This is why Jesus, the great shepherd of the flock, said to us, follow me. Not just follow my instructions, but follow me, for I am here with you. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me personally. He leads you personally. Martin Luther said the strength of the Christian religion was in its personal pronouns. Personal pronouns. If you'll read the 23rd Psalm in the King James translation, which I have in my hand today, or any other translation, you will find that it has 119 words, very short psalm. But of the 119 words, 17 of them are personal pronouns, either I, me, or my. 17 times God is saying that we have a personal relationship with him. Not a propositional relationship with him, not a religious relationship with him, not an ecclesiastical relationship with him, not a liturgical representation or relationship with him, but a personal relationship with him. I have a picture of my wife, but that picture only reminds me of the personal relationship that I have with her. I don't have a personal relationship with that picture. That's a symbol. And they can be healthy and helpful. But they are only that. They are symbol, not substance. And God wants to be more than a symbol in our lives. He wants to be a personal, vital part of every one of our lives. The Lord is my shepherd. Not just a shepherd or the shepherd. Generically, he's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me personally. He leads you personally. He leads us all personally. And I want to make three statements. And I'm not going to go through the psalm verse by verse as I have done uh, on other occasions. But I want to... Try to emphasize three things that he does 
for us because he is with us. Verse 3, he restoreth my soul. That word restore literally means, the word translated restore literally means he brings me back from wandering. He brings me back from wandering. The reason he does that is because we can't find our way home without him. Now, sheep are not very smart animals. In fact, they're pretty dumb. And I don't believe the Lord was insulting us when he called us his sheep. He just knew we're pretty dumb. Uh, We can't see very well. Sheep can't see very well. They're very finicky. They're susceptible to disease. And if they get lost, unlike a dog, they can't find their way back home. They have no sense of direction. I mean, if they get separated from the shepherd and from the rest of the sheep, they're, they're sunk. They're goners. Which is why Jesus told that great story in the 15th chapter of Luke. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and he brings it home, and he calls all of his friends together and say, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep, not the sheep, not a sheep, I found my sheep, which was lost. He brings me back and you back from wandering. And I don't know your history. I know a little about some of you. I know a lot about me. And I know that numerous times in my life, the great shepherd has come and he has brought me back. And we're all here, not because we found our way home, but because he found us and brought us home. And I love that poem. I know not how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark the night the Lord passed through. I only know that through those deep waters and that dark night, the shepherd found his sheep. He found me and he found you. And he has restored us, brought us back from darkness, brought us back from fear, brought us back from adversity brought us back from broken hearts and broken hopes, broken homes. He's brought us back. At the convention to which I spoke yesterday in Chicago, I used an illustration. I was speaking about the most powerful force in the world. The most powerful force in the world is love. The power to change the world is not going to come through external force. It's going to come through the internal transformation of people's hearts and minds. I was talking about the power of hope as being part of love, faith, hope, and love, that divine trilogy. In 1871, one of the great disasters in American history occurred in Chicago, the Chicago Fire. And I mentioned this yesterday, standing there in that city, speaking in the Drake Hotel. But here in the city, 1871, this place was devastated. Over 300 people lost their lives. More than 17,500 homes and businesses were destroyed. 
And after the fire had subsided, they were trying to begin to work their way back. A sign appeared in front of a place of business. And the sign read, Everything lost except wife, children, and hope reopening tomorrow for business. He brings us back. He restores <coughs> my soul. And he stays with us. Man, I like this. He doesn't just point the way. He is the way. He doesn't hand us a map. He hands us his hand. You can't beat that. He stays with us. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk. Here's that personal pronoun again. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me four times. He's referring to himself. He's promised to be with me. He's not some detached observer sitting there <clears throat> above the thunderheads impervious to our problems. He's with us. In, <clears throat> excuse me, in the valley of the shadow of death, he's with us. <clears throat> in the darkest times of our lives, he is with us. In the midnight of our souls, he is with us. And he has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. John Wesley said the greatest word in the Bible is God is with us. God is with us. Not just for us. That's marvelous. He's with us. That's better. He said I will never leave you. Oh love that will not let us go will not let us go. And he stays with us so that we might have a constant, ongoing confession of our relationship, a confession of our faith, a confession of our sins, so that the relationship is one that continues moment by moment, not just from Sunday to Sunday or from ritual to ritual, or from confessional to confessional, or from church service to church service, he is with us perennially, perpetually. And the confession is something that goes on perpetually and perennially within us. <clears throat> the word confess, uh, the Greek word that's translated confess, is homologeo. H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O, -O -O, if you wanted to transliterated into English, homo logeo. It's made up of two words, homo and logeo. Homo means the same as, as in homosexuality. 
That means that someone is attracted to someone who is the same as they are. Or homogenized. It means it's all the same as. I grew up in the days like some of you did before homogenized milk. And you'd get in, get in the morning, go in there to the kitchen, and you'd look at the milk bottle, and the top part would be what? It would be cream. And what would you do? You'd take it up, and you'd shake it, and you would, in effect, sort of homogenize it yourself. You'd try to make it the same. You'd shake it up, and you'd pour it in a glass. Now, I must, <laughs> I must confess that I have a conditioned reflex at times. And I'm always looking around to see if Martha or anybody else is looking at me because I feel self-conscious when I realize what I've done. I, sometimes in the middle of the night, I go in there to, to get me one of those Snackwell cookies. <laughs> Low fat, understand? <laughs> I go in there and I get me a little milk and a Snackwell cookie. And uh, I'll take that carton of homogenized milk and I'll shake it. And I look around and say, oh, Buckner, come on. Uh, it, it's because I did it for so many years that I still... Uh, do any of you join me in that confession? Well, it, oh, wonderful. It makes me feel better. Well, homogenized means the same as homo logeo. The word logeo means to say something. Because of the word logos, which means word. It means to say a word. It means to say something. Well, you put the two words together, confession means to say the same thing God is saying. When God says, Buckner, in our ongoing daily relationship, not in some sort of private confession, although that can be helpful, not just in the counseling session where we can confess and open up, that can be helpful. We can have an ongoing, perpetual, 24-hour confessional relationship with God that is not penitential in its nature, but God says, hey, Buckner, you kind of missed that. You, 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 you said something in haste. Lord, you're right. I'm saying the same thing you're saying. You said and impressed me through your spirit that I was saying something or I was hastily thinking something or doing something that I shouldn't have done and I'm convicted of it and I say, the Lord says, Buckner, you kind of messed up. I say, Lord, you're right, I did. I say the same thing that he says. Whatever he convicts me of, whatever I realize in my life that is not as God would have it to be and I want it to be, if I agree with him, then he takes it and it's gone. It's no longer mine. He has come to take away our sins. And the way it's done is when we just agree with him and say the same thing. When he says, I love you, you say the same thing back to him, I love you. And you know what that is? That is a confession of faith. That's salvation. It's not something esoteric and difficult and complicated. It's to say, Lord, you first loved me. I love you. And our sins are gone. Forgiven. He has taken them and he remembers them against us no more. No more. He forgets them. He's taken them. And he has reserved for himself something you and I cannot do. He has reserved for himself the capacity to forget. He can obliterate it from his mind. And so when I confess it to him, I give it to him and it's gone. 
I want to make a statement I want you to listen to very carefully. When you make that confession to Christ, moment by moment or day by day or whenever you have that impression and you say, Lord, homo legeo, yes, I confess. I'm saying the same thing. I heard your word and I agree with it. You're right. I was wrong. And he takes it. When that happens, you and I come into a spiritual relationship with God as though we had never sinned. Now, the consequences of our action may go on. They may be detrimental in our lives or in the lives of others. The consequences may or may not continue, but the guilt is gone, and you come into a relationship with God as though you had never sinned. He wipes the slate clean. That's what exalophane means, Don. Smith and I talk about that Greek word every now and then. Exolophane is the Greek word means, which means obliterated. That's what he, Paul says happens to our sin when we confess. They are exolophane. They are obliterated, wiped off completely, and you cannot even see the imprint on the page. He's with us and stays with us as our constant tutor and friend, mentor, comforter, confessor. And our relationship continues to grow and flourish, not just Sunday by Sunday, and not even just Bible reading time by Bible reading time or devotional by devotional. It can take place right there at your desk tomorrow. You can have a confessional right there, just in your heart. You lose your patience with somebody you're working with or you get angry at something that happened. And the Lord says, you're right, Lord. You said it, I heard it, I confess. The slate's clean. The slate's clean. Last word. He leads us. He brings us back when we wander. He stays with us all through the journey and he takes us home when the journey's over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Takes us home. I was thinking this past week about how many people that we know and love have gone to be with the Lord in the last number of years. But not in a morbid way. Look, I'm not trying to make you feel depressed. I, I'm just telling you something we all know but we don't like to hear. We're all going to die. We don't want to think that. But, but we're foolish not to realize that we are on a journey and this journey in this life is going to end and if we've not made some preparations beyond this life, we haven't chosen our rut very well. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die. Now we don't have to read that in the Bible to know it. 
It is a fact of life. Death is a fact of life. And Jesus Christ came to show, them, show us that death is not the end. That for those who walk with him, who trust him, death is just the sign on this side of the door. Which when we walk through with him and look back on the other side of the door, it says, welcome to life everlasting. I miss some people very, very much. Some people who were a vital part of this church and my life and yours. 30 years, 35 years for me, 37 years for, for some of us, some for more of us. More years than that for some of us. I don't know who will be standing here and sitting here and singing here 30 years from now, 50 years from now, but if the Lord tarries his return, God will have some of his people here. And the strength of those folks in the future will be the strength of our commitment in the present. The kind of people we are. The kind of fellowship we build and the kind of service that we, that we render. So you don't need to be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's why Jesus kept telling us over and over again, don't be afraid, because he knew we would be. Don't be afraid. Bishop Warren Chandler outstanding minister in American life was dying and a friend said to him please tell me are you afraid to cross the river of death and Bishop Chandler said why should I be afraid my father owns both sides of the river Your father owns both sides of the river. Never heard Peter Marshall in person. I've heard him on tape and read about him and read his wife's marvelous book, A Man Called Peter, and the story you may have seen when it was on as a movie. Great pastor and preacher in Washington. Died so early, a tragic heart attack. And Catherine Marshall, in writing her book, A Man Called Peter, talks about going back to Cape Cod the first summer after his death where they'd always gone for vacation and a cottage they had there. And when she went back that first year after Peter Marshall had died, it was very difficult for her. Saw so many things there that reminded her of him, the times they'd shared. And she was standing at the window looking out at the surging sea and feeling very discouraged. And she suddenly remembered the last words she heard him say. He was on that uh, hospital gurney that they brought from the ambulance. They were taking him out the front door of his home. And she was there in the middle of the night. She was going to go join him later at the hospital. By the time she got there, he had died. But he was there at the front door. And he looked up at her and he smiled and said, I love you. I will see you in the morning. Now the Lord's saying the same thing to you. I love you. 
and I'll see you in the morning. I'll bring you through the night to the sunlight. I'll take you to the Father's house where we will dwell forever and ever and ever. Who wouldn't want to follow a Lord like that? Who wouldn't want to know and trust a God like that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a family like that? So that's what we invite you to do today. Invite you to put the Lord in your life. Follow him. Walk with him. He'll walk with you. Comfort you. Forgive you. Give you strength and guidance. Take you by the hand. Lead you across the Jordan into the promised land. Where the lights are always on. The music is always playing. And the sun never goes down. And God's people live there together forever and ever and ever. Thanks be to God. I'll be here to greet you and welcome you as we stand and sing God's invitation. Come, come.